Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 1 says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that is, my speech and my preaching, were in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Turn with me now over to 1 Thessalonians, and let's look at chapter 1, verse number 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And then go over with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And let's look at verse number 3 and 4. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, And was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness. Both with signs and wonders. And various miracles. And gifts of the Holy Spirit. According to his own will. And then finally look at 1 Peter. Chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse number 12. Speaking of Old Testament preachers, to them it was revealed that to them that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, which things angels desire to look into. You notice that these passages talk about the preaching of the gospel but with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God intends the gospel to be preached and that there be demonstrations of the Spirit and demonstrations of power. And as I I was thinking about going sort of along this line, but but the Lord took me in a slightly different direction this afternoon. And and I got to thinking about uh, the ministry of Kenneth Hagin and what God led him to do and, and the direction that he took in the latter uh, part of his life, the last uh, 10 years or so of his life. And uh, he began to have, he, where he had been having uh, all faiths crusades, he began to have Holy Ghost meetings. And in those meetings, he told all of us, he said that the Lord had originally called him uh, when he was very young in ministry, and said, go teach my people faith. He said, I've taught you faith, both by the word, and then I've allowed you to have certain experiences, and you've learned uh, faith by experience and by the word. 
And he said, now go teach my people faith. And he did that for the, for the largest part of his, of his life, 50 years. And, uh, and then in, toward the latter part of his life, the Lord said to him, now there are other people who are good faith teachers and they're faithful. They're carrying the message of faith. He said, you don't have to focus on that so much anymore because uh, I've raised up other people to do that. But he said, I want you to go teach my people about the move of the Holy Spirit. He said, because there is a move of the Spirit that will be lost to this generation if somebody doesn't go and teach them. Go teach them about the move of the Holy Spirit. So for, for uh, those last few years, you know, he taught uh, and focused on the moving of the Spirit, the, the power of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, operations of the Spirit, manifestations and demonstrations of the Spirit. And uh, those of you, you know, my wife and I, during that time from 1994 to 2001, uh, we, we went to quite a few of these Holy Ghost meetings. He would have several, I think about five a year in different cities. We didn't go to all of those, but we went to a total of uh, about 30, mid 30, 30, she said 36 uh, of those meetings. I'm not really... Uh, can't imagine that there were that many, but she says there were, there were. Uh, but uh, in these meetings, there were such demonstrations of the Spirit, and there was a real move, the Word and the Spirit together. And uh, when Brother Hagen went to heaven, uh, a lot of the fervor and a lot of the uh, uh, enthusiasm about the move of the Spirit over just, it didn't take very long, just a few years' time, began to wane. And a lot of churches that hadn't even been strong faith churches began to move away from the message of faith because they began to, to look, you know, for a new message, a new generation, you know, and uh, they began to move away from, from the principles of faith. But then there were others that, though they didn't move away from the, from the principles of faith, they moved away from the operation of the Spirit. And I know not one or two, but several pastors who had Brother Hagen in their church, Holy Ghost meetings conducted in their church, where they experienced the power of God, the manifestations and demonstrations of the Spirit. They participated in them. They, they knew about it. And today, they don't give any reference to it in their church. They've completely walked away from that. And... Uh, you know, we need to, either Jesus said that to him or he didn't. Either the move of the Holy Spirit is a message that can be lost and is threatened to be lost in this generation or it isn't. Either the things that, that Brother Hagen taught, which the, the reason that I followed Brother Hagin so closely all of those years is because his ministry was so founded on the word. He didn't just take isolated passage of scriptures and twist them. In fact, when I was in Bible school, he instructed us not to do that. He said, don't build doctrine on little verses of scripture that you've got to, you know, you've just got to squeeze and twist and manipulate, kind of torture it, you know, to get a meaning out of it that supports what you're teaching. He said, what you're teaching may be right, but find scriptures that are so clear that can't be, that you'd have to have help to misunderstand it. They obviously teach those things. He said, don't get off into, and I, and I see preachers do that sometimes, of trying to, to, 
give a sense of, of being deeper and having more revelation. They take these scriptures and, and, and you get all excited and seeing something in there. And when you leave the service, you go back and read it and you think, wait a minute, that's not what that's talking about at all. And so he told us not to do that. And he didn't do that. His ministry was so based on the word and he had such demonstrations of the spirit of God. There was evidence. And, uh, it concerns me that, that so many people have, have walked away from that. And, you know, we have to be, you, you remember when, when uh, uh, the Philistines, you know, had, had plugged up the wells of Jacob, you know, and, and in Abraham's day, you know, his people had to come in. They had to, uh, they had to redig, you know, uh, or in subsequent generations, rather, they had to redig the wells that had been plugged up. We, we need to be careful that we don't let the wells get plugged up. That we keep the, the move of the Spirit fresh. That we stay uh, hungry for the move of God. I'm going to say that again. That we stay hungry for the move of God. And we are. We are. And I thank God for that. I thank God for this church. I thank God for your hunger uh, in these things. But, we, but it's very important that we, that we keep that stirred up. And so my outline, I'm, I'm going to skip over a few things, just mention it just real lightly. There, there are two different categories of these operations. There are manifestations of the Spirit, and then there are demonstrations of the Spirit. The manifestations of the Spirit is, is that phrase, the manifestation of the Spirit, is another way of saying the gifts of the Spirit. For to one is given one gift, to another another gift. And it says, but, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So I like to use the word, the gifts of the Spirit are good. There's nothing wrong with that. I use that. But I especially like the, the, uh, 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 that terminology of the manifestation of the Spirit. Because it so better uh, presents the idea that it's the Holy Spirit manifesting. And the manifestations of the Spirit, the nine manifestations of the Spirit... They, their purpose is to edify, inform, and reveal. The vocal gifts edify, the uh, revelation gifts reveal, and uh, inform, and, and, and reveal. And then fourthly, the power gifts deliver. So they're given to edify, inform, reveal, and deliver. Bring deliverance to people. So that's what the nine manifestations of the Spirit are for. The demonstrations of the Spirit, it's, their purpose is to demonstrate God's power and demonstrate his power to, primarily to the world, but also to the church. We need both manifestations and demonstrations of the Spirit. Demonstrations of the Spirit are much broader than, there's only nine manifestations of the Spirit, but there are, there are a lot of demonstrations of the Spirit. Demonstr- anytime the Spirit Even manifestations of the Spirit can be demonstrations. Anytime the Spirit of God is moving in a service, that's a demonstration of the Spirit. When we gather together and begin to worship God and the glory begins to settle in and and, and the presence of God, that's a demonstration of the Spirit. And so uh, uh, there are different things that we've seen over the years about demonstrations of the Spirit. But we need to... We need to remind ourselves or be reminded of the validity of these things. Either, either the demonstrations of the Spirit which, that we've seen and that we, uh, and that we do see, either these things are valid or they're not. And when it comes to demonstrations of the Spirit, and it's true of manifestations as well, 
But I want to focus on demonstrations of the Spirit. When it comes to manifestations and demonstrations of the Spirit, sometimes there's a fine line between what's genuine and what's put on. And, and as believers, we need, to, we need to hold on to the genuine. We need, to, we need to seek the genuine. We need to be interested in seeing the genuine power of God in our services. Amen? And so, you know, I've taught on this before, but I'm, I'm seeing uh, this in a, in a light that I think will be helpful and maybe say some things I haven't said before. There are different demonstrations of the Spirit. Tongues and the gifts of the Spirit is a demonstration of the Spirit. And of course, we know that speaking in tongues is scriptural. We know that there's uh, several passages in the New Testament that show us that. Uh, secondly, and, and, and you don't have to keep this list because uh, we, we won't get through all of them anyway. Unusual leading, guiding, and direction of the, ser- of the Spirit in a service that's unexpected, unplanned, and unusual. There are so many times we come in to church and I have a sense and I, I'll have an outline. I'll have a sense that we can go this direction, but I also have a sense that uh, not so fast, that the spirit of God wants to do something. And so I've, and, and you've witnessed this before, how the, the service will take a, a change in, in that no one really expected. And in, in, in I don't get to my notes. Uh, the spirit of God just directs uh, in praise and worship, directs Brother Steve to, to move in a certain direction. In fact, on Sunday afternoon, I think I told him after church, Sunday afternoon, I said, tonight I, I sense that we need to have a, a time where we minister to the Lord. What a precious time that was Sunday night, amen? And all of that, I didn't come in the service with any plan at all other than just gonna minister to the Lord and then just say whatever the Lord gets me to say. And, and it was short and, and it was powerful and we had a wonderful service. That's a demonstration of the Spirit. We ought to have that in all of our services. It doesn't mean that, that services need to all go one way. But tonight is a demonstration of the Spirit. Anytime the Holy Spirit is leading and directing in a service, that's a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. You do know that a good portion of the church world never sees that. Every service is the same, it's predictable, and it's miserable. You do realize that. It's dead, it's cold, it's lifeless, it's just religion. You do understand that a large part of the church world, that's all they know. We, meet, we should be careful to not uh, lose sight of the fact and lose our appreciation for the life of the Holy Spirit. The gospel preached with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven makes all the difference in the world. Amen? And... Uh, so uh, uh, different anointings in different ministry gifts. We, we have, if you've noticed that even though Pastor Greg and I are both pastors, I have a different anointing than he does. Pastor Angela has a different anointing than, than I do in the Pastor Greg. Pastor, uh, Brother Steve, not pastor, but Brother Steve, uh, you know, he's not a pastor. He's an evangelist. And he's got a different anointing. And whenever other people in the church minister on Wednesday nights or Sunday nights or other times, they have different anointings. When we have guest speakers in, all of those are demonstrations of the Spirit because we shouldn't have just the same old thing all the time. Amen. There should be fresh life and fresh uh, 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 power brought in. So those are demonstrations of the Spirit. Uh, 
Then the list that I have here, I want to talk a little bit more about, are more of the, of the uh, demonstrations that you see. You know, falling, people falling under the power of God is a demonstration of the Spirit. And there are three different kinds of prostrations in the Bible. One is a voluntary falling in, in worship, you know, when people uh, came to Jesus, you know, the ten leopards, one returned and fell down and worshipped him. That's a falling down, but that's not falling in the Spirit. That's a voluntary falling in thanksgiving or worship. Then uh, when Jesus was in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that he told the disciples that he was, he was burdened and, and, and sorrowful almost to death and he fell on his face. So there's the falling that can happen when people are under such a, certain, such a great burden uh, of oppression or sorrow, they fall. But that's not falling under, uh, in the power. Falling because of coming into contact with the power of God. That's real. Now, I was raised... Uh, you know, where we had a lot of that. We had in Pentecostal churches, Pentecostal churches always had a lot of that. And people are prayed for and they fall out under the power. Uh, There are some very dramatic illustrations of this in the Bible. And you don't have to turn there, but over in Leviticus, you know, when they saw the glory of God, they'd fall on their face and and they'd shout and just, you know, and, and fall down. That was falling under the power of God. Ezekiel, when he saw God, he fell out and the spirit lifted him back up and set him back up on his feet. You know, I I, I don't believe the days of the spirit lifting people up are over. God, anything God has done, he will do. Amen. Oh, glory to God. I might just spit on somebody's eyes one night. So hold on, pastor, you're going too far now. (laughs) Anything God has done, he can do again. God wants to demonstrate his power. That your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so the the power is demonstrated that way. Uh, Dedication of Solomon's temple. People fell out under the power. The priest couldn't even stand to minister. Uh, at the transfiguration uh, of Jesus, Peter, James, and John fell under the power of God. Soldiers who came to arrest Jesus at Gethsemane, uh, he just spoke a word and they fell back, fell to the ground under the power of God. Nobody pushed them down. That was the power of God. Then at Jesus' tomb, when the angels appeared, the guards became like dead men. Well, dead men don't stand around. They fall. Amen. Uh, what Peter talked about uh, falling into a trance and that word fall there literally means to fall over bodily. He fell into a trance. That's falling out into the power. On the road to Damascus, uh, or excuse me, that was Peter, not, uh, not Paul. Uh, Paul on the road to Damascus, you know, he, he said in his testimony that when, he, that when he saw that light, he fell. And he later said they all fell to the ground. On the Isle of Patmos, John, when he received the the book of Revelation, when he saw Jesus, he fell. We have uh, testimony down through the years of different revivals where people fell under the power of God. John Wesley, John Whitfield, Charles Finney's meetings, there were all of these testimonies of people who fell under the power of God. You know, you've heard the testimony of uh, Charles, uh, of, um, Charles Finney, where he said in one of his meetings, he said people began to fall out of the chairs. He said if he'd have had a, a sword in his hand, he wouldn't have been able to cut them down as quick as people fell. You remember that? Remember me tell, telling you about that before? I wanna, I've never read to you the whole account. 
I think you'll find this very interesting. This is what actually happened. Now, Charles Finney ministered uh, in New York and that, you know, that environs in that area back in the 1850s, I think. Somewhere around then. Anyway, it was a long time ago, before even my time. <clears throat> now, he had been holding a revival or a or meeting in Antwerp, uh, a village north of Evans Mills in New York State. And uh, he had held a, held a meeting there on a Saturday and a Sunday and a Sunday and then a Saturday and another Sunday. He said on the third Sabbath, I'm going to pick up the story here. He said on the third stab- Sabbath that I preached there, an aged man came to me as I was entering the pulpit and asked me if I would not go and preach in a schoolhouse in his neighborhood about three miles distant, saying that they had never had any services there. He wished me to come as soon as I could. I pointed the next day, Monday, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. <clears throat> it was a warm day. I left my horse at the village and thought I would walk down so that I should have no trouble in calling along on the people in the neighborhood of the schoolhouse. However, before I reached the place, having labored so hard on the Sabbath before, I found myself very much exhausted and sat down by the way and felt as if I could scarcely proceed. I blamed myself for not having taken my horse. But at the appointed hour, I found the schoolhouse full, and I could only get a standing place near the open door. I read a hymn, and I cannot call it singing, for they seemed never to have had any church music in that place. However, the, pre- the people pretended to sing, but it amounted to about this, each one bawled in his own way. My ears had been cultured by teaching church music, and their horrible discord distressed me so, the, so much that at first I thought I must go out. I finally put both hands over my ears and held them with my full strength, but this did not shut out the discords. I stood it, however, until they were through, and then I cast myself down on my knees, almost in a state of desperation, began to pray. The Lord opened the windows of heaven, and the spirit of prayer was poured out, and I let my whole heart out in prayer. I had taken no thought with regard to a text upon which to preach, but waited to see the congregation. As soon as I had done praying, I arose from my knees and said, up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. I told them I did not recollect where that text was, but I told them very nearly where they could find it and then went on to explain it. I told them that there was such a man named Abraham and who he was and that there was such a man as Lot and who he was, their relationship to each other, their separating from each other on account of differences between the herdsmen and that Abraham took the hill country and Lot settled in the vale of Sodom. I then told them how exceedingly wicked Sodom became and what abominable practices they fell into. I told them that the Lord decided to to destroy Sodom and visited Abraham and informed him what he was about to do. That Abraham prayed to the Lord to spare Sodom if he found found so many righteous there. Uh, And the Lord promised to do so for their sakes. That then Abraham besought him to save it for a certain less number. And the Lord said he would spare it for their sakes. Then he kept on reducing the number until he reduced the number of righteous persons to ten. And God promised that if he found ten righteous persons in the city, he would spare it. Abraham made no further request and Jehovah left him. But it was found that there was but one righteous person there and, and that was Lot, Abraham's nephew. And the men said to Lot, that is the angel said to Lot, hast thou here any besides 
son-in-laws and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in this city, bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place. Because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. While I was relating these facts, I observed that the people looked as if they were very angry. Many of the men were in their shirt sleeves. And they looked at each other and at me as if they were ready to fall upon me and chastise me on the spot. I saw their strange and unaccountable looks and could not understand what I was saying that had offended them. However, it seemed to me that their anger rose higher and higher as I considered, as I continued the narrative. As soon as I had finished the narrative, I turned upon them and said that I understood that they had never had a religious meeting in that place. And that I therefore had had a right to take it for granted and was compelled to take it for granted that they were an ungodly people. I pressed that home upon them more with more and more energy with my heart, uh, with my heart full almost to bursting. I had not spoken to them in this strain of direct application, I should think, more than a quarter of an hour. When all at once an awesome solemnity seemed to settle down upon them, the congregation began to fall from their seats in every direction and cried for mercy. If I had a sword in each hand, I could not have cut them off their seats as fast as they fell. Indeed, nearly the whole congregation were either on their knees or prostrate, I should think, in less than two minutes from this first shock that fell upon them. Everyone prayed for himself who was able to speak at all. Of course, I was obliged to stop preaching for, no one long, no long, for they no longer paid any attention. I saw the old man who had invited me there to preach sitting about in the middle of the house and looking around with utter amazement. I raised my voice almost to a scream to make him hear and pointed to him and said, can't you pray? He instantly fell upon his knees and, was, and with a stentorian voice poured himself out to God, but he did not at all get the attention of the people. I then spake as loud as I could and tried to make them attend to me. I said to them, you are not in hell yet, and now let me direct you to Christ. For a few minutes, for a few moments, I tried to hold forth the gospel to them, but scarcely any of them paid any attention. My heart was so overflowing with joy at such a scene that I could hardly contain myself. It was with much difficulty that I refrained from shouting and giving glory to God. As soon as I could scarcely, as soon as I could sufficiently control my feelings, I turned to a young man who was close to me and was engaged in praying for himself, laid my hand on his shoulder, thus getting his attention, and preached in his ear Jesus. As soon as I got his attention to the cross of Christ, he believed, was calm and quiet for a minute or two, and then broke out in praying for the others, others. I then turned to another and took the same course with him with the same result and then another and then another. In this way, I kept on until I found the time had arrived when I must leave and go and fulfill an appointment in the, in the other village. I told them this and asked the old man who had, who had invited me there to remain and take charge of the meeting while I went to my appointment. He did so. But there was too much interest and there, was, and there were too many wounded souls to dismiss, to dismiss the meeting. And so it was held all night. In the morning, there were still those that could not get away. And they were carried to a private house in the neighborhood to make room for the school. They were meeting in a schoolhouse. In the afternoon, they sent for me to come down there 
as they could not yet break up the meeting. When I went down the second time, I got an explanation of the anger manifested by the congregation during the introduction of my sermon the day before. I learned that the place was called Sodom, and I knew it not, and that there was but one pious man in the place, and him they called Lot. This was the old man that invited me there. The people supposed that I had chosen my subject and preached to them in that manner because they were so wicked as to be called Sodom. This was a striking coincidence, but as far as I was concerned, it was altogether accidental. And then he goes on to talk about, about other things. But anyway, I thought you'd, you'd enjoy the whole story. It, by the Spirit of God, that was a demonstration of the Holy Ghost, that he got the, the, the message about Sodom and Abraham and Lot, and he was in a village that was called Sodom, and the only righteous man where was there, there was the man that invited him, and his name was Lot. So uh, uh, it was interesting that the people fell under the power of God. Uh, John Wesley reported the same thing. Uh, George Whitfield in his meetings uh, reported the same thing. Uh, somebody gave me this book called The Great Awakening, Awakening, A Brief History with Documents. Brad, did you give me this? Do you remember this book? I think, I think Brad gave me this book a few years ago. It's an excellent book, and it goes into the, the uh, first Great Awakening in the uh, 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 18th century, in the 1700s, and, and how uh, it started, you know, with, with a, a, a preacher, Jonathan Edwards, and, and it spread, and then the, the Whitfields and, and uh, Wesleys came over. And it talks about uh, all of the different things that happened. I, I, there's too many things in here for me to to go over all of it. Let me see if I can find just a couple of quotes. As in Edwards' Northampton awakening, some New England town seemed totally engulfed by the revival with men and women, rich and poor and white and black and Native Americans all experiencing the new birth. I didn't know about the Native Americans. There's a, a section in here about Indians that, uh, you know, Native Americans that got saved. And this one guy, this one man, he became a pastor and was one of the leaders uh, of the revival. And he said he was just raised as, as an heathen. They, they were tribal people. They lived in wigwams and, and, uh, and, and didn't know God. And he had heard, you know, that there was a preacher there and they were preaching about some kind of salvation. Went and got saved and, and, and God greatly used his, his, uh, him for, for his purposes. Uh, Should have marked this a little better. I won't go into all this, but a lot of great things happened. But in these meetings, there were uh, people falling out under the power, but there were other demonstrations of the Spirit that we see in our days today. This is an account of the first camp meetings. And uh, this writer told about his Reverend Stone kept a careful record of every manifestation during the weekend where this, this happened. And the following account essentially composes one chapter of his autobiography. The bodily agitations or exercises, as they called them, attending the excitement in the beginning of this century were various and called by various names as the falling exercise, the jerks, the dancing exercise, the barking exercise, the laughing and the singing exercises. 
The falling exorcism. Now, this was in the early days of, of our country, at the founding of our nation. The falling exercise was very common among all classes, the saints and sinners of every age and of every grace, from the philosopher to the clown. We should be covered tonight. (laughs) The subject of this exercise would, the person of this exercise, would generally, with a piercing scream, fall like a log on the floor, earth or mud, and appear as dead. Of thousands of similar cases, I will mention one. At a meeting, two gay young ladies, that just means they were happy, two gay young ladies, sisters, were standing together attending to the exercises and preaching at the time. Instantly, they both fell with a shriek of distress and lay for more than an hour, apparently in a lifeless state. Their mother, a pious Baptist, was in great distress, fearing they would not revive. At length, they began to exhibit symptoms of life by crying fervently for mercy and then relapsed into the same death-like state with an awful gloom on their countenances. After a while, the gloom on their face, the face of one was succeeded by a heavenly smile and she cried out, precious Jesus, and rose up and spoke of the love of God, the preciousness of Jesus and of the glory of the gospel to the surrounding crowd in language almost superhuman and pathetically exhorted all to repentance. And a little while after, the other sister was similarly exercised. From that time, they became remarkably pious members of the church. I have seen very many pious persons fall in the same way from a sense of, from a sense of danger of their uh, unconverted children, brothers or sisters, from a sense of the danger of their neighbors and of the sinful world. I've heard them agonizing in tears and strong crying for mercy to be shown to sinners and speaking, and speaking like angels to all around. The jerks cannot be so easily described. Sometimes the subject of the jerks would be affected in some one member of the body and sometimes in the whole system. When the head alone was affected, it would be jerked backwards and forwards or from side to side so quickly that the features on the face could not be distinguished. When the whole system was affected, I have seen the person stand in one place and jerk backward and forward in quick succession, their head nearly, their head nearly touching the floor behind and before. All classes, sinners and saints, the strong as well as the weak, were thus affected. I have inquired of those thus effective. They could not account for it. But some have told me that those were among the happiest seasons of their lives. I have seen some wicked persons thus affected and all the time cursing the jerks while they were thrown to the earth with violence. Though so awful to behold, I do not remember that any one of the thousands I I have seen ever sustained an injury in body. This was as strange as the exercise itself. Then he goes on to the dancing exercise. This generally began with the jerks and was peculiar to professors of religion. The subject, while jerking a while, began to dance and then the jerks would cease. Such dancing was indeed heavenly to the spectators. There was nothing in it like levity nor calculated to excite levity in the beholders. The smile of heaven shone on the countenances of the subjects and assimilated to angels 
and and assimilated to angels appeared oh appeared the whole person. Sometimes the motion was quick and sometimes slow. Thus they continued on move continued to move forward and backward in the same track or alley till nature seemed exhausted and they would fall prostrate on the floor or earth unless caught by those standing by. Well, while thus exercised, I have heard their, their solemn praises and prayers ascending to God. Now the barking exercise. As Now listen to this. I had never realized this. I'd heard about the barking exercise and thought it was crazy. This writer says, the barking exercise, parentheses, as opposers contemptuous, contemptuously called it, was nothing but the jerks. So, so the barking exercise was not barking. This was, this was a pejorative term that the, that the opposers used. He said it was nothing but the jerks. A person affected with the jerks, especially in his head, would often make a grunt or bark, if you please, from the suddenness of the jerk. This name of barking seems to have had its origin from an old Presbyterian preacher of East Tennessee. He had gone into the woods for private devotion and was seized with the jerks. Standing near a sapling, he caught hold of it to prevent his falling. And as his head jerked back, he uttered a grunt or, uh, or kind of noise similar to a bark, his face being turned upwards. Some wag discovered him in this position and reported that he had found him barking up a tree. I did not know that's where that expression came from. The laughing exercise was frequent, confined solely with the religious. It was a loud, hearty laughter, but one so generous. Did anybody not recognize that? Latin term or some term. It means of its own kind. It was a hearty laughter of its own kind. It excited laughter in none else. The subject appeared rapturously, rapturously solemn and his laughter excited solemnity in saints and sinners. It was truly indescribable. The running exercise was nothing more than that person that person's feeling something of these bodily agitations through fear attempted to run away and thus escape from them. But it commonly happened that they ran not far before they fell or became greatly agitated so that they could proceed no further. I knew of a young physician of a celebrated family who came some distance to a big meeting to see the strange things he had heard of. Now, I want you to notice that, that what he just said is very common. You might think... If you were a, a, a detractor, if you were from the outside, you would think all of these shenanigans, this is unnecessary, this is a travesty, it's not gospel preaching. It drew the crowds. People came to see what was, they came because of the jerks, they, not the jerk people, but the activity of jerking, the, 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 the falling exercise, the jerking exercise, the, the running exercise, the... Uh, the barking exercise, the, the laughing exercise. So let me pick up here. I knew a young physician of a celebrated family who came some distance to a big meeting to see the strange things he had heard of. He and a young lady had sportative, sportively agreed to watch over and take care of each other if either should fall. <laughs> At length, the phys- physician felt something very uncommon. 
and started from the congregation to run into the woods. <coughs> he was discovered running as for his life, but did not proceed far till he fell. And there lay till he submitted to the Lord and afterwards became a zealous member of the church. Such cases were common. I shall close this chapter with the singing exercise. <coughs> this is more unaccountable than anything else I ever saw. The subject in a very happy state of mind would sing most melodiously, melodiously, not from the mouth or nose, but entirely in the breast, the sounds issuing thence. Such music silenced everything and attracted the attention of all. It was most heavenly. None could ever be tired of hearing it. Dr. J.P. Campbell and myself were together at a meeting and were attending to a pious lady thus exercised and concluded it must be something surpassing anything we had known in nature. And so then he, I think that's the end of where I'll stop reading. But anyway, these things have happened. Now, are they in the Bible? Some maybe, some not. But when Jesus spit on the man, spit in the clay and made the spittle, that wasn't in the Bible either. There is no precedent for that at all in the Old Testament. And as far as I know, he never did that again. And I don't know of other people have done it. Maybe other people have, I don't know. But the point is, the power of God in demonstration can result in a lot of different things. And it's intended to create a fervor, to create excitement and create uh, 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 news that will spread around. So, you know, we have to be, as a church, we have to be careful that, boy, I didn't get very far tonight. I read a lot of stories, but they were interesting, weren't they? We, we need to be careful that we yield to the Spirit and, and, let, and let the Holy Spirit really be the one who's, who's directing things. That's why I don't dance or run or anything like that unless I feel the Spirit move on me. Now, you could, uh, you know, if other people are running, you just might, you know, feel like running. Uh, I guess you could, and, and, and a lot of times this has been encouraged in different meetings. But I don't like to do that. I want the Holy Spirit moving people to do things. But, but the other side of that coin is when the Spirit moves, He doesn't knock you in the head with a hammer. You know, it's, a, it's sometimes it's just, a, it's just a sense, just a quickening. You remember the time, I'll, I'll, I'll take a minute to tell this. You remember the time that I told about me dancing in the spirit the first time? I was standing next to this, this fellow pastor, this friend of mine that I'd known in the church where we both came back to the Lord in. And I was standing next to him at, uh, at the campus of Ramah, Holy Ghost Services, 1983. And we, you know how two brothers will just kind of hug each other, you know, just love your brother, you know, side to side. And we, we were still, you know, kind of embracing like that. And I had a slight, a slight impulse to jump. Now, I'm not talking about jumping crazy. I jumped like this. I just had, I didn't have, it wasn't overwhelming. I didn't think about any, I didn't think it was going to, I didn't think there was anything more to it. I just simply had a slight impulse to jump. I think I jumped twice. I know I don't, I believe, I don't believe I jumped three, more, more than three times. On the, on the second or third time of that, just, and I was still holding on to this brother. Just when I, when I made that second or third jump, 
When my feet, I mean my feet were off the floor this far. So in that moment, I was in the glory. A cloud came up around me and I couldn't see. I couldn't see. I could see the, everybody was standing. I could see the back of the chair in front of me, but I couldn't see the people standing in front of the chair. I could see this brother that I was, that I was still holding on to. And he had, his, he had his arms around my, you know, my torso and I had my arms around his. I couldn't see beyond him. The other side of him that way either. So I'm in this cloud. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the power of yielding to the Holy Spirit. Just that gentle, it wasn't overwhelming. I could have easily just thought, oh, I don't want to do that. Easily have done that. But when I'm, I yielded that, to that, just that gentle prompting, that glory came and the next thing I know, I'm dancing in the Holy Spirit. I had never danced in the Spirit before, didn't want to, wasn't planning on it. The idea of that happening was not in my mind. People around me weren't dancing in the Spirit. Everybody was that, if people were dancing, they were doing that charismatic shuffle, you know. And uh, so it was like when I made that small yield, the Holy Ghost took me over. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have a sense, I think I'll dance. No thought entered my mind about dancing. I didn't, I didn't uh, think of it, ponder it. I was just inexplicably, I was dancing in the spirit. So the point is, learn to yield to the spirit. Those times that we just unconsciously, just gently yield to the spirit can have the most dramatic effect. But when we get this engaged, well, I don't know if I want to jump. I don't, what will people think if I jump? And it's not time to jump. Or what? You know. Listen, if the Spirit moves on you, respond. And th- that's all God asks for you from you. And that's all He needs. So let's be people that are sensitive to the Spirit. Let's remain sensitive. And let's, let's keep the fire of God in our services. Let's keep the demonstration of the Spirit in our services. Amen? And, and, and it comes down to just being yielded. And not being so, you know, cerebral, thinking everything out, analyzing. If I had analyzed that, I'd have missed that experience. And all God was looking for was that moment of just yieldedness without trying to control anything. I just responded and, and had a glorious experience in the Lord. Well, praise the Lord. We'll talk about some other things in uh, next time. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.